Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. The guys that was in the Babylonian captivity during that 70-year period, whose name was Daniel, and Daniel was a given, a matter of fact, what I'm going to be talking to you about this couple of weeks is what Daniel shared with us through God's word in Daniel chapter 9. And here's what I want us all to understand is that we need to stop measuring our lives in months and years. I, I know, you know, when we're young, we want the numbers to get bigger quicker, and then there's somewhere along the line where we want those numbers to stop for a little while, and then there's another part in life where we want those numbers to go backwards, and then there comes a time where we just quit counting numbers. And I wish that we could get the concept that God has and, and quit measuring our life in years, in months, and even in seasons, but start measuring your life in opportunities. See, seasons are going to happen. And what's going to happen is during that season, God is going to be bringing in people across your path. That's the race that we're told to run that was set before us. And I would encourage all of us to run your race. Don't run Ronnie's race. You'll lose. Don't run your husband's race or your wife's race. Don't run it for them. Moms and dads, don't run your kids' race. And don't try to let your kids run your race that you messed up on. Run the race that is before you. And then be patient for God to reveal in the fullness of time exactly what. I mean, because there's times where um, I've had uh, situations happen in my life that I didn't want to go through. That uh, God put me to sleep and let me wake up on the other side of this. He didn't but I did make it through. And when I got to the other side, I realized why I had to go through what I went through. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things that I had to go through that if I didn't, I would have never ended up. There was a, um, a hard time that I had to go through that led me to Crossroads Church. There was a hard time that, uh, before that that led me to leave the banking business and join the military. And here's what I want us all to understand is that when you think about the season that you're in, when you think about running your race, when you think about the fullness of time in your life, and that is this, there are going to be a last. You know, for me, when I was in the, the military for 28 years, I think of my Air Force lasts. The last time I tested for promotion. Oh, my goodness. I tell you what, I, I didn't burn the book that we used to have to study, but I wish I would have. I mean, you know, that was, that's one of the things, if you ask anyone who's been in the military, one of the things that they, are, they don't miss was the pressure that came with getting ready, testing for a promotion. I remember my last test. I'm so glad it was the last one. I remember taking my last PT test in the Air Force. Oh, and I was laying on the ground, I think on my back, and the, uh, one of these young airmen, she goes, are you okay, uh, Chief? I said, yes, this was the last time you ever see me do that. And it was. Praise Jesus. I saw him that day, I think. The last time putting on the uniform. I remember that day. Here's what I want you to know. 
is that there's going to be some last in your life as well. And I want you to savor them. I want you to enjoy the moment. And don't miss out on what God has planned for you. If you look, if you've got this by now, I hope you open it up. And inside is this picture. This picture is a good example of what the fullness of time looks like. And you see there's a gentleman there on the far left, and and he uh, represents the prophets, not just one. He could represent Daniel. He could represent Jeremiah. He could represent Ezra. He could represent Nehemiah. There's a whole host of them. And what's interesting is that when God would show something to the prophet, they could see what's on the mountaintops. Like you see there, if you look at that picture and you go to the right, you see Calvary. Calvary was very obvious. Matter of fact, all of the prophets talked about Calvary. And Daniel Um, was given more vision, and he could see even further, and he saw a time where there would be this man called the Antichrist that would come onto the scene. And he saw beyond that time as well, and and those are things that I'm going to share with you uh, today and over the next couple of weeks. But I think about some words that Daniel wrote, and I bet many of us can um, sympathize or empathize with Daniel. when he, In Daniel chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, he said these words. I'll just read them to you. I heard, but I did not understand. Has anyone ever read God's word? And you said, I read, but I did not understand. I read, but I didn't want to understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? I don't get it. And now the angel says back to Daniel, who's given him this message from God. He says, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end, the end times. They're sealed until the fullness of time. And that one of the things that confused Daniel was the valley of the church. It's where we're at today. And so I think about when I used to, uh, we would go over to Covington, uh, Virginia, and I just went back there in uh, July, and sitting out on the back porch, there was this view that I had that showed layers of mountains. And, I, and as I look, and as you look at that picture, you know, what you can't tell is how many different mountains are there. So let me show you this next picture. And what it does is I took and, and I drew each one of the layers of mountains. Do you see that one, two, three, four, five different mountains? Now, all you can see is the peak of those mountains. The one that's the closest is obvious, and then you can start to see the different peaks. If there's houses there, when the leaves fall, uh, you'll see different lights, and you'll see the houses up on those mountains. But, but right now, as we look at that picture, all we can see is just the different levels. And so what I would encourage you is that just like Daniel, when, when he, he saw the future, He had it given to him by an angel. He didn't understand it all. Why? In his context of time, it didn't make sense. He probably didn't understand what these automobiles were. He didn't understand why these planes were flying and not um, landing hard on the ground. And the same thing is true for us as we look at our life, as we look at the race that's set before us, is that we don't see the valleys. But you know what? we got to keep going we got to go through the valley to get to the next mountaintop. 
And then when you get to that, here's what's interesting is there's not a lot of houses up on the mountaintops. There's not a lot of things growing up on the mountaintops. And so you've got to go back down into a valley, and then you've got to come back up onto another mountaintop. That's what the race that has been set before you. Well, let me share with you a race that was set before the children of Israel. And I want to read to you out of the book of Luke. Out of the book of Luke in chapter 21. There's a verse there in, in verse 24. It says this, And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Remember I talked about how that um, the, fulfill, the fullness of time. And there are different chapters, there are different seasons where God is working and he's waiting for the fullness, he's waiting for the fruit to be ripe, ready to be picked, because you don't want to pick the fruit before it's ready. You'll lose out on all the joy. Matter of fact, you might discover or, or experience some pain. And as I read, it says that, the, that they'll be trampled underfoot. Now, that makes me want to read a little bit more. So if you could, find Luke chapter 21, and I'm going to read to you verses 20 through 24. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, okay? But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea... that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for the people, the Jewish people, they will fall by the edge of the sword and to be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now, sometimes uh, theologians confuse this passage with the Olivet Discourse. Matthew and Mark cover the Olivet Discourse. As a matter of fact, the Olivet Discourse probably sounds 80% of what this is like. But Luke is talking about something very different and very specific. He's talking about the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And what happened in about A.D. 65, um, the Romans had grown tired of what the the, uh, Jewish people in Israel were doing. Uh, While Jesus was alive, the the Romans had uh, basically... And here they were, they just, they wouldn't give up. And so Nero, a very bad Roman emperor at the time, he sends his top general, whose name was Vespasian. And he sent him to go and to conquer Jerusalem. And so what that means is they they brought in thousands. I think the number was 60,000 Roman soldiers. And when they got there and they were just about to go and attack um, Jerusalem, Nero died. And so uh, Vespasian um, basically had the, his army of 60,000 surround the city of Jerusalem, just like we read in Luke chapter 21. And they waited, and, and so the first emperor after Nero was picked and and he died because he was assassinated. And so they're still waiting on the emperor to tell them, do we take Jerusalem or do we leave it alone? Because his soldiers were going to die when they went to tackle this city. 
Well, the next emperor that is put in place, he gets killed as well. And so Vespasian leaves his army in place and he leaves and he goes back to Rome and ultimately ends up becoming the emperor. And so he sends word to his son, Titus, who he had left this army in charge of. And he told them to take the city. Now, this was a five-year period of all this happening that the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. And if you hear the words of Jesus and the words that he gave to his disciples, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by army, what are they supposed to do? Leave. Get out of there. Here's what historians tell us, that none of the early Christians died when they took over Jerusalem. Millions of Jews died, but all of the early Christians had heard the message from Peter, and they'd heard it from John, and they'd heard it from Mark and Matthew. And they knew that when the, they saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that they were to leave, and that's exactly what they did. The ones who didn't leave ended up giving up their lives. Here's what's one of the interesting things that happened is when they went to take the city, they, they just ran into all kinds of problems. And so finally, they decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the temple. If we could get the temple, we'll, we've got the rest of, they'll, they'll listen to us. And so they put all of the 60,000 soldiers and going after conquering the temple. But the problem was these soldiers had been away from their homes for how many years? Five years. They were frustrated. And matter of fact, when they initially went in to assault the temple, they lost thousands of Roman soldiers. Where the Jewish zealots that were fighting and, and the, what they called the rebels, they had only lost hundreds. And so they decided to change tactics, and what they did was um, they wouldn't allow any food to get into the city, and they basically starved the Israeli people that were in the city of Jerusalem. And then one day, as they decided to attack, and you could imagine these soldiers had five years of pent-up anger, and they knew that there were lots of treasuries, but they had blocked up the temple so that they couldn't even get in there. And so what they started doing was they started setting fires and throwing it through the windows. Now, one of the things that Titus had told them was don't burn the building because there was a lot of money. There was a lot of gold. There was a lot of, there was treasure inside that. They didn't listen. Why? I think this was a satanic attack. And they started throwing firebrands at the, and the entire temple burnt. And what you may not know about the temple was it was built with blocks, giant blocks, blocks the size of this stage and 10 feet tall. And when the, the fire heated so much that every, all of the precious metals burnt and melted and they fell into the cracks between, between these rocks. And Jesus said not a stone would be unturned on this temple. You know why they, they knocked those blocks down? To get to the gold, to get to the silver, to get to what had slipped in between. What's interesting is God's not done with the temple. Matter of fact, I'm going to share with you some verses next week, and I'm going to talk to you about God's time clock. And there's an hour hand, a minute hand, and a second hand. I want to share that with you next week. 
Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. So Jesus said, when you see the Jerusalem surrounded, leave. Now let's hear what Paul has to say. He's in Rome. He's preaching. He's writing this letter to the uh, church that's in Rome. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25. And he says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all of Israel will be saved. So there's a couple things I want you to see in that verse. Number one, it says the fullness of the Gentiles. So Jesus talked about it. Now Paul was talking about it. And then he adds on there, there's this partial hardening. The very people who were looking for Jesus missed him when he came. But yet he still came and he still fulfilled his mission. And that was to die on the cross for my sin, for yours. But what happened was when the children of Israel rejected Jesus, the time clock that God had for Israel, he put it in pause. But you know what? He knew that he was going to do this back in the day of Daniel. Because Daniel talked about that there would be a 483 years from the time that the the proclamation was to go rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah would come in. And then the Messiah would be cut off. And then there's this pause, and we're in that pause right now. We're in that pause for the the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel was destroyed. They were sent to the uttermost parts of the earth. And yet today, you'll meet people that identify as Messianic Jews. And what that means is, while they are Jewish, they recognize that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And they are now a part of the church. And here's what I want you to understand, and here's why we should be excited, and here's why you need to make decisions today. When the church is complete, when the fullness of the Gentiles, when the church has all of the names, when the last person identified as part of the church is saved, then the blindness is going to be lifted from Israel, but that won't happen until the church is taken away. We're going to talk about that, the rapture. And then we see, as we look at that graphic again, that there is seven years that are just around the corner. And during those seven years, more is written about in Scripture than any other seven-year period of time, all from Genesis to the end of Revelation. And here's what's happened. As we are, find ourselves in that valley of the church, Here's here's what we do. When we don't see what God has promised to us happen as fast as we want, we start to help God. Has anyone in here tried to help God? You know, we help God with our Discover card. We help God with Visa and MasterCard. We help God with quitting a job that we don't think he wants us to have. We help God in so many different ways. And here's what happened. The church leaders, they tried to help God. God said that Israel will become a nation and that he's got a seven-week, uh, a seven-year period of time left just for them. And yet what has happened is um, when that promise was written, 100 years passes, 200 years passes, 300 years pass by, 400, 700 years, and then finally they, you know what, maybe that's not what God meant. 
Maybe he meant that this church was the new Israel. Folks, that is heresy. That is not what God taught. God taught that the church was very distinct and has a mission, and God taught that he is not done with the nation of Israel. That's why we should be excited. And let me tell you that this, for such a time as this, God has called the church. You know, one of the things in our convention that has been uh, changing our identification is the Southern Baptist Convention to the Great Commission work. Folks, that is what we're all about. That is what we're about here at Crossroads Church. That is why you've seen 45 baptisms in this church since January. That's why there are 12 people that are going to be getting baptized over the next month. Why? Because we are a great commission church. When Jesus was alive in AD 32, there were 300 million people on the earth. There's 300 million people in America right now. There's 7 billion people on this earth right now. Folks, you don't have to dig very hard, and you'll find out that there are leaders around the world that don't like that number of 7 billion, and they want that number to get smaller. They want that number to be destroyed, and I think it has nothing to do with them as a person as much as it has to do with that is the agenda that Satan has. See, Satan from the beginning of time has tried to destroy life, the very thing that God created. And yet he hasn't been successful in doing that. And now the ministry, the vehicle that God is using is the church. And and tonight, if you come back at 5 o'clock, I'm going to share with you a little bit. Many wonder, how does COVID, how does that that fall into this? I will share with you tonight um, at 5 o'clock when we talk about going deeper. Where does that? What does it mean? Why is all this stuff going on? I hope you'll join me for that. Because right now, everybody is crying for peace and safety. Everybody wants to be safe from the pandemic. Everybody wants to be guaranteed that they're going to live a long life. Folks, I want you to understand this, that God has a number in your life, and when you reach it, he's going to bring you home. God has a mission in your life, and when you quit And there's going to become a point where God is no longer going to try to get you to live out his purpose, and he's going to take you away. But here's the promise. If you are here, if you're watching online, if if you can hear my voice, God has a plan, God has a purpose for your life. And it's your job to find out, and not just find out what it is, but do it. Live it out. Take action. prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the devil. He wants nothing more than for us to sit in these seats and do just show up on Sundays. If all you did was show up on Sunday, I think your life would probably be pretty good. But when you start doing things, when you start um, living the purpose that God has in your life, expect to get some flat tires. Expect the engine to blow up. Expect the job that you love to be the job that you hate. Expect that the children that you love to rebel. When you start doing what God wants you to do, the enemy doesn't like that. And what you'll find out is persecution comes. You see, God uses discomfort or persecution to get us to move us in the direction that he wants us to move. Let me ask you this. Has God or is God using discomfort right now in your life? 
Is he trying to uh, move you in a direction that you're fighting against? Maybe you can identify with Paul when Jesus said, why do you kick against the pricks? You're going to lose this battle, Paul. And Paul surrendered and was used to write more of the New Testament than the other man. I wonder, what is God going to use you for when you surrender? Because here's what he did was he took a little bit of persecution And for such a time as this, he used the Roman roads that were created to bring the armies into Jerusalem to send the army of God out from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, you know what? They wouldn't have done that if the army hadn't surrounded Jerusalem. They wouldn't have done that if the army hadn't attacked and destroyed their homeland, the very thing that they stood for and represented them. And I wonder what's going on in our lives. I wonder if are we going to be like um, Acts 8, 4, and it says that those that were scattered preach the word, or are we going to uh, be like Paul and we discover our purpose and we go from killing people and persecuting people and destroying people into one where we're lifting people up, where we're helping people get beyond the, the challenges in their life, where we help people see that there is a reason, there is a purpose for them to come back tomorrow. It would blow you away if you knew how many of your friends are contemplating suicide. It would blow you away if you understood the power of just a few words, a phone call, a text, a message, lifting people up. But the problem is we never make the phone call. We don't text because we think that, well, I haven't talked to them in a long time. They'll think that I'm just wanting something. And I want you to understand that, folks, the vehicle that God chose to put a partial hardening on the nation of Israel was the church. And Crossroads Church is just one of millions. See, our mission is to reach the greater Centralia area with the message of Jesus. We're going to lift them up in worship. We're going to lift them up in message. And, folks, we are a church not just on Sunday mornings. We are a church all day, every day of the week, and everywhere we go, we are going to lift the name of Jesus up. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and I'm just going to read a couple verses here. In verse 1, it says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And what I want you to understand is when we read the book of Revelation, we are hearing Jesus' story, not John's. We're we're hearing the message that Jesus wants us to hear. In verse 3, this is one of the reasons why you should not give up on Revelation. Verse 3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I'm blessed because I'm what I'm doing right now. And those who hear, how many people got an ear? Grab your ear and shake it. All right, if you got two, you can do both if you want. You're blessed because you're listening to the words of this prophecy. And listen to this, those who keep what is written in it. You know, um, right now in our small groups, we're going through this book here called Everyday Theology. In day five, the message was to live it. 
You see, it makes no sense for us to come to church, for us to hear the, the worship that we heard. Come on, did y'all see Sherry just, to, I mean, I think she came off the ground a little bit while she was singing this morning. I mean, I, we're going to have to tie her down next week if we, if we keep singing songs like that. It doesn't do any good to come here and feel your spirit get lifted and then walk out and forget. Not that you're a member of Crossroads, not that this is your church, but that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. It does us no good to forget that and miss it. If you look in verse 19 of Revelation chapter 1, this is the outline of the entire book. And he says, I want you to write down about three things. He says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen. And if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, if you read the Gospel of John, you will see what John the Apostle observed as a person, and this was his testimony. And then I want you to write those that are. That's what I'm about to share with you today and tonight. And then the third thing was, and those that are to take place after this. That's what we're going to be continuing to talk about for the next five weeks. It's interesting that uh, what God chose to use was the church. And, and as we start to read here in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read about the seven churches. Now, folks, I cannot do the seven churches justice in the short period of time that I have left with you today. And, and many of you and, and will say amen, especially if you have a pot roast in the cooker at home um, or if you've got plans to eat this afternoon like I do. Um, so I'm not going to, I could spend a week on every one of these churches. I could probably spend a month on every one of these churches. But what I want to do is, matter of fact, I would challenge you is to, to flip onto the other side of that image and you're going to see what I'm going to talk to you very briefly about today, and that is the, these seven churches. And what's interesting about these seven churches are there's four viewpoints that I want you to understand. Number one is that these were literal churches. They existed. This letter went to a church. No, they didn't have postage stamp, but it was delivered to that church. Second thing is I want you to know that these are written to us personally, and I'm going to show that to you as I read these verses. And what you need to do is you need to grade yourself. Look at this as a report card and see which one of these churches you identify with. And if I were you, I'd circle that church. And then what I would do is I would go and, and what did he tell them to do? And I'd do that. But it also represents churches corporately. Crossroads Church identifies with one of these churches. Why? Because the majority of our attenders, members, Believers are living like one of these churches. And then the last thing is that uh, we believe that these churches represent prophetically the churches through the ages. I'll share with that one with you tonight. So open up to Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to start, and I'm going to tell you about the first church, the church of Ephesus, and I'm just going to read these first seven verses. Revelation chapter 2. And as I go through each one of these churches, there's actual seven different things that, that can be pulled out of um, each one of these. And, and what's funny is that when we uh, look at the way that um, 
Revelations was written, it was written in what's called a hepatic structure or sevens. You're going to see sevens a lot. Matter of fact, the sevens are going to confuse you. There's seven churches. I'll talk about those today. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven stars, seven promises to the overcomer. There were seven horns and seven eyes, seven angels and seven thunders, seven features, seven letters, seven judgments, seven I ams. There were seven doxologies, folks. And what's great as we get to the end of this, there are going to be seven new things. So Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, let me read to you about this first church at Ephesus. And he said to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I told you that number seven was going to be around. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how that you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. This is Jesus writing to the church. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So even though that this was written to the churches Ephesus, it was written to all seven churches. Even though this was written to the churches Ephesus and these seven churches, it was written to all churches. Revelation 1, 3, blessed are those that hear and do what's in this. Church, individuals, you want to be blessed? You're going to get an opportunity today to see where you stand, to give yourself uh, an evaluation between you and God. And as we look at this church of Ephesus, the recognition that came to them was that they worked hard, that they had endurance, and that they hated evil. Say amen right there. But the criticism was this, that they had abandoned their first love. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have recognized that, you know what, you're not quite where you were at one point in your relationship with God. Maybe um, you identify with this church and how that they um, started pursuing doctrine over devotion. And as I was sharing this with Pastor Lee, he said it wasn't doctrine so much as it was dogma. Jesus said these words. He says that the Pharisees had started teaching the traditions of men like it was the doctrine of God. Folks, we got to be careful of that in the church that we don't take the things that we like, the things that make us feel comfortable, the things that make us value coming to church on Sunday and put that over the gospel of Jesus Christ or elevate it to the same level. Jesus wouldn't have given this message out. In the first century, within 50 years of his death, this is what they're already doing. They're leaving the first love. So what are they supposed to do? He says, return to your first love. There's three words. Remember? Remember what you did when you first got saved? Remember how much time you spent in God's word? Remember how much time you prayed? And then repent that you're not doing it, and then repeat it. Start doing what you used to do. Matter of fact, you probably open up your Bibles, and you find right the place where you left off studying. That's where I'd start. What happens if they don't do that? 
going to be removed. Folks, I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here to uh, try to um, put fear. There's, there's enough of that going on. You turn the news if you want fear. But the reality is this, as a Christ follower, when we stop following Christ, when he knows that there's no more hope for us, he's going to take us out of this world. That's not the way I want to go. I want to go down in a blaze of glory, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, it doesn't matter what happens with our government. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. What I want to die is with the name of Jesus Christ on my lips. Let's look at the second church in Revelation chapter 2 and starting in verse 8. This church was the church in Smyrna. This uh, city is no longer called Smyrna. It's called Izmir, Turkey. This was the myrrh capital of the world at that time, and that's why it got its name Smyrna. And what, as I read in verse 8 through 11, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. It's interesting that twice here you're going to hear the reference of death because myrrh was an oil that they used when they were embalming. Matter of fact, myrrh is the, that smell when you go into the dentist office that I love so dearly, and, and, and they, sometimes they use that to numb us. It's got a very distinct smell. Myrrh is um, an oil that is used like on our skin uh, to help, like if you've been burned or if you've got stretch marks, it, it helps heal that. And so here was the capital of uh, building or, or developing myrrh and getting it out to the world. And the words of the first and last who died and came to life, verse 9, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. And he wasn't talking about ten days here. It was literally a ten-year period of time where the church, by the emperor of Rome, was persecuted at a level that we've never seen since that you may be tested for those 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So the recognition was that this, uh, the Christians in Smyrna were poor, yet they were rich. And I would tell you that there are many of you here today that you would consider yourself poor by this world's standards. You would consider yourself on fixed income, and yet you are doing more for the kingdom of God than those with riches untold, those that have never looked at their checking account in the last couple of years. Keep doing it. What was the admonition? Do not fear the future trial. You know, and I would tell you this, church, I don't care what is going to happen to us. I don't care what's going to happen to our country. I want you to know that we do not have to fear. There is tough times coming. Folks, I wish I could tell you that, that Jesus was going to come back and all this stuff in Revelation wasn't going to happen. But, folks, it's, it's in God's word. The fullness of time will come. And if you miss it and you're not taken in the rapture, folks, you will be the one living through what we know. You will live through that seven-year period of time, and most likely you will die during that seven-year period of time. And the beautiful thing when it looks at this church of Smyrna that there was no criticism. Go into verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamon write the words of him who is a sharp two-edged sword. 
I know where you dwell, where, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. And so you also have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So the recognition to this church in Pergamon was that they held fast to their faith. But yet, it's interesting, they held fast to the faith, and there were many who had aligned themselves with Balaam. And if you know the story of Balaam, he's the guy that got talked to by a donkey. And Balaam sold himself out and sold his religiousness out to money. And and I'm not going to mention names, but you can turn on the TV, you can do an internet search, and there are preachers of the word or self-proclaimed preachers of the word that have sold themselves out just like Balaam. They've sold themselves out to the agenda of the enemy, to idol worship. And I know that here in America today, you you don't usually walk into somebody's home and they've got an idol and there's incense burning to it. But you know what we do? They're out in our parking lot. They're in our garages. Some of them, it's the bank account. Others, it might be clothes, might be certain pieces of jewelry. And maybe the worst part here is, even though they held fast to their faith, they were guilty of sexual immorality. I preached about this just a few weeks ago. We live in a hypersexualized culture. And it's just as bad in the church as it is outside the church. Let me read in verse 18. And the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God who has the eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, your faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. Verse 20, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Let me help you understand what that means right there is, that there are uh, people who claim the name of Christ who don't know Christ. They won't be taken. They'll be left behind, and they will go through the tribulation and the great tribulation that's spoken of. I've told you this, that um, if the rapture were to happen this week, next Sunday, some people would still show up. They missed it. They are the people that are described in the church of Pergamum. They're the people that are described in the church of Thyatira. Remember, I said that every one of these churches identifies us individually as well. There are people that are listening. There are people that are watching online. There are people that are watched throughout the week, and they are a slave to sexual immorality. 
And, you know, they want me to tell them that it's going to be okay, that it's a problem, and that they, that they can be forgiven of that. And, yes, you can be forgiven of all forms of sin, all forms of wickedness. But the problem is when we know it and we don't repent. The problem is when we know it and we don't change. And the reality is this, that if the Holy Spirit isn't telling you that it's wrong anymore, if you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit, that's when you need to get worried. So as we look at the recognition that this church had, it was their love, their faith, their service, the patience that they maintained. The problem was the sexual morality that was still in existence. It was funny, I, this uh, past week I came across a uh, um, message by Billy Graham on YouTube, and he said the biggest mistake that the pastors in his generation made was not to preach against sexual morality more. The admonition was this, wake up or it's the woodshed. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I said the woodshed? Uh, I've been to the woodshed. Matter of fact, I remember one time, and we were living in Maryland just outside of Aberdeen Proving Grounds, and we were going to this house that had this I know your kids line and says, you can't cross this line. And usually it was on my side of the, and so what would I do? I'd cross that line. I'd put my hand there. I'd slide my little self all the way over. And then she'd push me. She was bigger than me. She could do that. And the next thing you know, I'd push, and we start fighting. And then my dad would tell us, stop, or I'm going to stop this car. But you know what? He never Stop the car. And so guess what we didn't do? We didn't stop. And then one day, he stopped the car. I remember that day. There wasn't a stop sign. There wasn't a red light. It was in the middle of a road. He pulls over. Doesn't say a word. He gets out. He walks to a tree. And he breaks off a branch. Now, what were y'all sent to trees to get? A switch. I know what a switch looks like. You know what a switch looks like. My dad knew what a switch looked like, but he didn't get a switch. He got a branch. And he came back, and he made my sister and I get out. And this was a two-door car, and so we had to climb. My mom had to get out. My sister gets out. I get out. He makes us grab the bumper of the car. Now, I know this is called child abuse in America today, but this was called uh, the way my dad operated. And we grab onto that bumper, and cars are going by. And my dad administered the rod of correction to me and my sister. It worked, folks. Because for the next six months, every time the car slowed down, I quiet, got quiet in the car. One day, God's going to pull the car over. And he's going to grab a branch. And he's going to have you grab onto the bumper. And he's going to whip you. And see, you got a choice. You can either take it that somebody grabbed a branch and beat him with it. Somebody grabbed a whip and whipped him with it. Or you can be in rebellion. You say, you know what, God, I don't know. And one day he's going to stop the car and he's going to remind you, oh, yeah, I'm your father. You're not getting away with this. Enough is enough. 
Let's go over to chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but folks, listen to what he says, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, has an ear let him hear. What was the recognition to this church? None. What was the criticism? It was dead. Folks, there are dead churches lining this town. There are dead churches that go from coast to coast. There are dead churches that circle this globe. I pray that Crossroads Church never becomes that dead church. I pray that Crossroads Church remains alive. Going on into chapter 3 and verse 7. And and the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Folks, get it. Just get this right in your mind. You're trying to open doors that God doesn't want opened, and you're trying to close doors that God's got his foot in. Don't do that. Instead, be like this church in Philadelphia. It says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And I'm here to tell you that there is an open door to the greater Centralia area that God has opened for Crossroads Church, and nobody can shut that. No no other church can shut that. No one that's been here and left can shut that. No one that's going to come through these doors and try to destroy this work can shut the door that God has opened for us. The question is, are we, are you going to walk through that door? Are you going to share the, the testimony that God has given you? Or are we going to be quiet? I know that you have but little power, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not. Now, now let me just tell I've heard the synagogue of Satan a couple times here. Have, did, you, did y'all pick up on that? Folks, um, there is coming a one world religion, and we try to tell ourselves that it, it might be Catholicism. It might be um, universalism. It might be uh, um, Islam. But I'm here to tell you, I believe that it's going to be Satanism. Satanism is the number one growing religion in the world for the last 10 years. And you think, well, you know what? I'm not missing my cats and my goats. and, And so you don't realize what's going on. You don't realize the people that are in power and what they do and who they worship. They, they get on TV and they quote scripture and they proclaim to be a follower of Christ. And yet what they do when the doors are shut and when the lights go down would embarrass you. Be careful, folks. It says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. They will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on this whole world. Church, if if you're looking for a confirmation 
that there is going to be a rapture, and I'm going to do a deep dive in this soon. But this is one of those verses. See, God has not appointed us for the wrath that is coming. That wrath is his wrath. I've I've told you before that there is a passive wrath of God. That's when you do stuff in your life that you know you shouldn't do, that God has um, set against, and that's that woodshed. That's the bumper that you're hanging on to. That's the tree that God's uh, beating you with. Folks, that's nothing compared to the wrath of God that's coming on this earth. The question is, are you going to be here for it or not? I hope that nobody at Crossroads Church is here for that day. But see, it's not up to me. It's not even up to Jesus. He's done all the work already. It's up to you. Verse 10, because you have kept my word and about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast. Oh, not soon enough, though, is it? This is, this, we're back to, hey, you know what? Let me just go to sleep and wake up in heaven. But see, that's, what, that's not the mission God is for you. He doesn't want you to go to sleep and wake up in heaven one day. You know what he wants? He wants you to wake up in heaven one day with 100 people that you brought along for the journey. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from God out of heaven. I'm going to talk about that. And my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Recognition that they kept the word. They haven't denied the faith. Criticism, there's none. What's the admonition? Keep doing what you're doing so that you'll miss out on the tribulation, the hour of tribulation that's coming. Let's read about the last church, the church of Laodicea. Maybe the church that's been the most spoken about, probably because right now we live, if you were to give a grade to the, all the churches together conglomerately across the planet, they would probably identify with this Laodicean church. In verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Church, if you are living in a time where God, it feels like that the wheels of life have come off, he says it right here, Take heed to that. Listen to that. Respond to that. Not so that the pain goes away, but so that you have an eternity in heaven. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So there was no recognition for the church of Laodicea. 
The criticism was that they were a lukewarm church. Why were they lukewarm? Because they were rich and prosperous. You've read the scripture. You've probably heard it many times, how that it's easier for somebody to go through the eye of a camel than for the rich person to enter into heaven. There's a lot of different ways we can interpret it interpret that but the reality is this and you know it's true that when there's a lot of money in your bank account it's a lot harder to focus on Jesus why because we put our faith in the bank account we put our faith in the credit card we put our faith in something else except God and what God calls that is idolatry there are many of you here that that, that's not your life you look at the bank account and you don't want to you haven't looked at it for six months because there ain't nothing in there why look Here's what I want you to know. Those that think they're rich, the Bible says this, they're wretched, they're pitiable, they're poor, blind, and naked. They don't even realize it. Let's not be that church. I started off today reading in Luke chapter 21. I'd encourage you to find Luke 21 again. And let me close with this verse here. So Jesus told them in verses 20 through 24 that Jerusalem was going to be surrounded. And when that happens, that there was something that they needed to do. Then when you get to the end of the story in verse 34, he says it this way. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And the reality is that we need to listen to the words of Jesus because there's three things that he said to be wary of. Number one was dissipation. How many people know what that word means? Nobody. All right? Dissipation means this, the squandering of money, energy, and resources. Now how many people know what that means? Yes. We have been guilty of that as Christians where we squander what God gives us. We squander the resources that he has blessed us with. And all we're left with is excuses. Jesus, not Ronnie, Jesus said, don't get caught up in wasting away of your life. Don't get caught up wasting away of your resources. Don't get, remember I said quit measuring time by months and years and start measuring in what? Opportunities. Don't squander the opportunities. Don't miss out on the chance that when, G, or when God brings somebody across your path and wants you to speak words, you to be the, the voice for him, that you say nothing that you hold it in. But he didn't stop there with just squandering away things. He also said drunkenness. I know you're thinking, well, there's no one in here like that. And those of you that are glad that everyone thinks that. But here's the problem is, when we see the word drunkenness here, all we think about is alcohol. That is a problem. That ain't all that he's talking about. And really the concept of drunkenness is excessive indulgence. Now. I'm getting a little close to home. Because not only are we wasting our resources, but there's something in our life that we get obsessed about and we give our life to. And it's not Jesus Christ. Oh, we claim the name of Jesus Christ, but yet, you know what? If if someone had to take us to a court of law, it'd be hard-pressed to convict us of that because there's no evidence. Why? Because we're squandering. Why? Because of the excessive indulgence that we have in the things on this earth. Galatians 5 and 19 and 21 say the words this way. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Listen, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
I warn you as I did before, those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom. Folks, be careful. Ephesians said it this way. Do not get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And and here's what I love about God's Word is, not only does He tell you not to do, but He tells you why you shouldn't do it, and then what you should do to replace it. And what He says here is, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Look, that just sounds bad, doesn't it? There's nothing good happens when we get drunk. I, I, I would challenge you, after church, send me a private message and say, no, no, Pastor Ronnie, you know, I got drunk and you're not going to believe what happened. I met the perfect woman. You're not going to believe what happened. I found out I was going to be a daddy. You're not going to believe what happened. No, don't, don't, please don't try to do that. Because God's word says that it doesn't lead to that. Now, good can come from that. But don't you dare go in there thinking, you know, that, that's, you know I'm, I'm going to do this deep dive into sin, and then I'm going to allow God to use it for his glory. So, so don't do that because it leads to this. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, that's, what is the thing that you are, are taking to, to an excess? You're probably missing out on the Holy Spirit in your life. You're probably missing out on living out God's will in your life. What happens when uh, we get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, Ephesians tells us that we end up singing to each other with psalms and hymns. The songs y'all sing when you get drunk aren't psalms and hymns. Matter of fact, there's a bunch of country songs that say otherwise. A bunch of rock songs that say otherwise. And I hate to say this, but there's some Christian songs that say otherwise. But here's what God says. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can lift one another up in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Folks, you're going through a tough time right now. Give up what you're squandering life on. Give up what you're getting drunk on. And I'm not just talking about alcohol. Give that stuff up and be filled with the Spirit. Allow God to to put a song in your heart. And then the third thing in Luke 21, verse 34, that he says, the cares of this life. Maybe you didn't check the box on squandering away things. Maybe you're a good steward with what God has brought into your life. Maybe you're not guilty of being drunk, in, whether it's alcohol or anything else. But yet this one here is knocking on your door. You're letting the cares of this life distract you from eternity. You're letting a a relationship get in front of what God has planned for you. You're allowing the cares of this life to sidetrack you. I remember the song growing up. I don't know the name of it, but um, by Twyla Parrish, and the, the words of it were this, that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the reality is this, that there are Christians across this nation. Undoubtedly, there are probably Christians in this room that are grabbing on to life, and it's just like sand, and it's slipping through. And you grab more, and you grab more, and you're missing out. And you're going to lose out on what God has for you here on this earth and in for all eternity. You know, I talked about last, those last that I had in the Air Force. 
that last promotion test, that last PT dip, that last time I put on the uniform. But I want you folks to understand this, that your life is full of last too. See, there's going to come a fullness of time in your life. There's going to be the last time that you see a friend or a loved one. And it won't be until after that last time that you regret that you didn't say what God put on your heart. There's going to be that last conversation and you left it the wrong way. There's going to be that last request. And every one of us in here one day will take our last breath. No one gets out of this one alive. So will you be focused on squandering your life? Will you be focused on getting drunk on what you have? Will you be focused on the cares of this life? Or will you be focused, will you be a Titus 2.13 Christian and be focused on a blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ? Folks, church, that is why we come here, because of what Jesus did on Calvary and what he's going to do. One day, Jesus Christ will come back literally, bodily. He will set feet on this earth, and he will establish a kingdom for a thousand years. Those of us in the church age that have become Christians, we will be coming back with him, and we will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. It's going to, you're going to be surprised that there's some little old ladies in here that, that you don't even know their name, and, and you, you don't even realize you're sitting beside them, and one day they're going to have a city the size of New York in the new millennium that they're in charge of because of their faithfulness on this earth. And then you're going to see people that you think that they're doing so much for God and you don't know their heart, and when you see them in the millennial kingdom, uh, they're not going to have a, a city. Folks, there is a blessed hope. The question that we all have to answer is this. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? Not are you ready for your life to become perfect. Not are you ready for God to get rid of all the problems in your life. Are you ready to stand before your creator? That's the question we all have to answer. So I'll remind you one more time. Quit measuring your time in minutes and seconds, in days and months. In years and decades, start measuring your life in opportunities. And I want you to know that today is an opportunity. I told you this last week, the past is history. Quit living there. The future is hope, and we're going to look forward to that. But today is the present. It's a gift. What are you going to do with the gift that God has given you today? Praise God that you're here this morning. But what are you going to do the rest of the day? How are you going to live out that you are a Christ follower. God, I thank you so much that you sent these letters to the seven churches. And, and Lord, I pray that everyone that is listening, that, that heard this message, God, that they would look at these different churches and God, that they would see where they fall. And praise God if they are identified with the church of Philadelphia, that they have kept the word, that they haven't denied the faith. But God, if, if they're of a church of Laodicea, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would light a fire that no man can quench. God, I pray that if they are of the church of Thyatira, that they would become alive. Church, we have a future hope. The question is, do you? Do you have a future hope? If, if not, I would encourage you, in front of you are some decision cards. 
and and I would not leave this room today without opening and pulling these out and putting your information in here. Maybe while I've been preaching this message, you know, you realize that you need to dedicate your life to Jesus. You recognize that what he did on the cross for you. Maybe you've done that before and yet you left your first love. I checked that box right underneath there. I would make today the opportunity today to rededicate my life to God. Maybe you, you know that the next step that God has for you is to, to get baptized. I would encourage you to fill out that card, put your name on there, and check all, that off. August 29th, we're going to fill that baptistry up again, and we're going to baptize. I hope that if that's you, that you're here for that. In obedience. Would you stand with me right now? We're going to close today out with the song, One Day. Here's the, here's the reality. Can you say those words? Will you be here one day? Or one day will you be left behind? I'll be down here if anyone needs prayer. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.